Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Cecilia, we are so on trend with today's topic. Are we? We really are. It is gut health. Aha. Actually, gut health and anxiety and neurological conditions. Okay. I've been waiting for this one to come up only because it's about time we really got to the bottom of all the noise around gut health because I don't think I knew much about it until I started doing these podcasts with you. And when I did find out about it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is like a revelation. It makes so much sense. When we get to the end of this, I think we're going to have everybody feeling very motivated. Yep to really give their gut some love. But, I mean, look, <laughs> we should let today's guest tell us about it um, because really I guess it all comes down to is our digestive or is your digestive system up to scratch? I mean, what do you think? Do you think your digestive system works well? Well, it is now, I think, because I've been taking probiotics for about 12 months. Yes. Um, but I think a lot of people... Uh, don't have a digestive system that's up to scratch. And I don't think you realise until it's actually better, isn't it? No, definitely. I think that I know for me that my diet greatly influences my mm. how, how I feel and my digestive system. And we're going to learn why that's so important. But also just like addressing neurological issues, anxiety and all those sorts of things, we're, we're really going, there's lots, there's lots to learn. And we are sitting down today with none other than the wonderfully named... Kale Brock. Hey guys, my name's Kale Brock. I'm a writer and researcher and filmmaker and I've been specialising in the area of gut health for five years now and hopefully we can talk about poo today. Woohoo! <laughs> Excellent. Favourite topic ever. So Kale's been very busy with his new project that we're dying to share. He is the creator of The Gut Movie, which you know, cast your mind back five years ago. Do you reckon you would have thought of going to anything that had gut? Well, you might have, but, you know, generally people, let's go and see the gut movie. That sounds like it's going to be about guys with big guts. Yeah, yeah. Look, let's let him explain a bit more. And can I just say, I mean, we do go on about Kale a lot, but we just found a guy called Kale. Like, how good is that for our show? I I know. So the gut movie was a project that I started last year, and it's a story about who and the future of medicine. And the idea behind the film was to actually go out and sort of investigate whether the optimal microbiome does indeed exist in us but in the film it centers around me actually traveling to Namibia to live with a traditional hunter-gatherer tribe over there where we did some microbiome testing and we had a look at my own microbiome and how it changed whilst I was there and we also tested their microbiome. So I guess the question on everybody's lips is does the ultimate gut biome exist? Is that, is that the question on your lips? Well, yeah. I mean, we all strive for perfection, I guess, don't we? Well, we all have better health. That's right. I, I imagine going around to going, I have the perfect gut. The perfect I know, gut. but for those who don't know actually what that is, your gut bacteria or your microbiome refers to the constellation of bacteria that lives in you and on you. So not only in your digestive system, you have about three litres or so in there, mm. but also what's on the outside, which I don't think we give a lot of credit for or credit to, um, you know, with things like bacterial sanitizers and yes. it's not good. Like no, we're not supposed them. to. It's terrible. Mm. I have watched people at a dinner table, the mother hand the sanitizer around before everybody eats. It's sort of like, just go and wash your hands. It's yeah, much better do. for you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to kill the bacteria. It's, yep. Some of it's quite good for you. But 
we're really quickly understanding how imperative this microbiome or bugs or bacteria, whatever you want to call it, is to our health. And it can be the core reason also as to why we can experience illness and disease. Mm. I think according to, the, according to the research, you can't really have, you can have the perfect microbiome, but it's the perfect microbiome for you. Mm. And I suppose this is something that's consistent across health in general, is that we're finding that each of us have unique different sets of, of nutritional needs, for instance. And I think that's probably a reflection of our, our unique and individual microbiomes and how they actually adapt and thrive on, on different nutrients and styles of diet. So I think, you know, the answer is, yeah, there probably is the perfect microbiome, but it's not one. I remember seeing a TV show towards the end of last year, I think it was on the ABC, talking about this exact thing because there was a, a woman that they looked at who had, you know, really bad, like IBS pretty much, you know, couldn't leave the house because she had diarrhoea all the time, let's not mince words. But they went and tested the bacteria in her gut and that's what the problem was. She It was all out of balance, that the good bacteria just wasn't the way it should be to have her gut functioning. And when she started eating, she had a terrible diet too, but when she started eating the correct things and adjusting that, it just changed her life entirely. So how do we find out if we have the right thing for us exactly? I mean, you know, she found out because she got a TV crew to come to her house, but it's probably a bit <laughs> We're extreme not back to for the all of yet. us. You know, we- what, what do we do as individuals to create, like to look after these little pets inside us, essentially? Well, we asked Kale to elaborate. Really, the, the biggest key is actually focusing on our long-term diet and lifestyle approach to actually support that and, and look after our microbiome so that it does become perfect for us and where we're at in that given uh, circumstance. So what he's saying essentially is that diet is absolutely key and we really need to keep things simple, which we love, and come back to foods that basically only support our health. So if it's a packet, it's probably not doing your body any favours. The thing I think is very interesting about having the range of guests that we have on in our collective on each episode is that people seem to have, we're all pointing in the same direction. You know, this is a story that we've heard before. We spoke to Lola Berry mm-hmm. about nutrition and she was saying, look, whole foods, it's just try and just eat food that's real and, and stay away from anything that's got numbers and, and comes in a packet, which is easier said than done. Let's And let's not demonise those things because we all have to have them every now and then. But I love that he's saying exactly the same thing, but the outcome is just slightly different, even though you go with the same idea. What also he had to say that was really, I think, important to understand is that it's not as simple as just taking probiotics, Mm. that we um, have to actually look at the bigger picture and the long game when it comes to our gut health. I mean, we can always take probiotics and I think they they do indeed help. But I think that uh, when it comes down to it, as I said before, and, and I hope it's not sounding like a cliche, we all require a different sort of dietary approach to thrive, but I think we also need to fit within certain fundamental principles of diet to thrive. I don't think there are people walking around out there who are going to be thriving off Mars bars and Coke. You know, we do actually have to put a little bit of effort in and live within this whole food realm, and that's certainly where we want to start, is within the realm of whole foods. Did it run around once? Did it grow on the ground once? So sometimes it's just best to keep things really basic and really simple, right? Keep it simple, stupid. The KISS principle. (laughs) Isn't that what we need to go for? Yes. Mm. Kale came back to asking a few questions around how we can really grasp this concept. 
So he went to Africa, which is quite extreme. He lived with a tribe, he roamed the land, he hunted, he gathered, and all of this was to see if his microbiome would do something, you know, dramatic during this time. You know, why didn't we think of I this? Know, we right? could have, uh, I like, had fun in like some <laughs> foreign country. <laughs> I'd love seeing you hanging out in an African tribe. Oh my goodness! So with my your chipped nail polish. You wouldn't be very happy. Uh-uh. My mm. daughter went on school camp a few weeks ago, mm. and a couple of a couple of her friends had an observation. Or they said to their mum, "Mum, I don't think Olivia realizes that she's going to get dirty." And she's not going to be happy with that. And I had to giggle because she's like me. I really don't like dirty hands. I really, I'm that child that used to wash my hands at the beach in between every pat of the sandcastle making. Like I just don't like that sensation. Mm. No, no. So anyway, she's gone on school camp. Yeah. And I packed for her. Baby wipes? I did pack the wipes, but I also packed for her day one, day two, day three of clothes, put them in separate bags that were labelled with a change of clothes in each plus... Four different changes of clothes on yes. top of those, just in case. Uh-huh. So wear these, but then some really daggy other stuff, just in case. She came home and every single item yeah. was dirty. Because she just didn't want to be dirty, Correct. so she kept changing. She kept getting changed. <laughs> she would not be the perfect person to take to Africa with uh, you to live in it with Who was the one that packed the bag for her to prepare for this uh, situation where she didn't want to be dirty? Well, she also Mama ended up bear. dibbing into her friends' clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so she not only did she wear everything that I had packed, she'd actually, mm-hmm. and it Borrowed. came down to the fact that she didn't actually like the smell of the campfire, so she kept going and getting oh, changed. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> she wouldn't survive. The reality is it is really important for us to sometimes get dirty, mm. get our hands, you know, this is why gardening and yeah. even creating your own veggie garden or whatever. You know what? Even having the cat. I reckon having yes. the cat in our house yes. has made us healthier. I because it brings dirt into the yes. house all the time and parasites think and all what that else? delightful okay. stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but I know that when... <laughs> You're trying really hard, aren't you? I to am trying. To accept the dirt. I am. I'm trying. Um, I know when we can begin to embark on a new health regime or you hear something new like this, it can seem really overwhelming. But once we start to feel better... Mm-hmm. And once we start to adapt better um, habits or uh, a new way of eating, what I find is that the body actually naturally takes over and starts to tell you what you need. So whilst it might seem really overwhelming, I would say to people, let's just start yeah. and then see what happens. And I asked Kale this question as well, what he thought about this idea. For sure. I think people definitely become more in tune with what their body needs after they actually start giving it the right raw materials. So as, as we sort of keep coming back to and, and providing the body with whole foods, will actually help you sort of um, become a more intuitive eater. And I know you're big on this as well. And it's something that we, we don't talk about enough. We'd rather fit in, inside a certain box. Like if we're paleo, we've got to eat paleo when even in certain circumstances, the body is not going to thrive off that sort of diet. Um, and just the same going the other direction, if we're vegan, we have to be vegan when the body might not thrive off that sort of diet long term. So there's, there's various things that we actually need to consider. And I think dogma is probably the enemy when it comes to making smart food choices. But when we actually give our bodies a little bit of love and, and nourish it back to health, our microbiome does actually help us become more instinctual with how we eat because we know that these gut bacteria are communicating constantly with our um, immune system, our metabolic system and our neurological system. They're really the ones who are, who are craving all those 
all those treats at the at the end of the at the end of the day after a big long work day. You know, they're the ones craving the sugar, or they're the ones um, craving when you see a little bit of lamb on the barbecue and it smells so good, and you start salivating. It's probably because of these gut bacteria. I like the idea of blaming the bacteria or listening to the bacteria, however you want to put it. I ate half a caramello koala the other day Mm. uh, because I found it in the fridge and it was cup of tea at night time. Yeah. And I only ate half because it was so sweet. I couldn't manage it. I I must have. I know. (laughs) Because my mind was saying, let's go for this. But my gut was saying, "Mm, not today, Cecilia. How about that? Very interesting. Well, Kale was asking a few questions about my challenge. Uh-huh. It came up, you know, here it is again. Sorry. But look, actually, if you want to know more, head to my website. There's I don't know about, about it, actually. Challenge. I haven't asked you about your challenge. challenge. Oh, yeah, I should have been on it, shouldn't yeah, I? Well, there's another round coming up. Okay. More information on the website. <laughs> um, but basically, he was really interested to learn what I had changed. And here we are again, back at this point, and I know we've raised it so many times before, but here we are back again with fasting. Uh-huh. And he was very interested to discuss that with me because we did share this common love about fasting, but actually for different reasons. I think you touched on something really important there, and that's giving our digestive systems a rest. We don't do that enough. We, when we hear our bellies rumble, we've been told to associate that with, with being hungry, right? But what's actually happening is it's a peristalsis movement. So our our intestines and our, and our gastrointestinal tract are actually moving in waves and clearing toxins and debris from the, from the lining of the gut. And, you know, that's a really important thing to happen to prevent us actually reabsorbing those toxins into the system, especially from the, the lower bowel. It's a really important thing to do is, is to cleanse and we often don't give our bodies enough time. So I'm actually an avid um, follower, maybe not seven days a week, of, of intermittent fasting as well. So that's leaving a good 16 hours uh, including your sleep time for your body to actually rest and not eat and maybe going for a surf in the morning and actually feeling that hunger and enjoying it as long as it's not affecting my energy levels and my blood sugar is quite balanced. You know, it's quite a smart thing to do to allow your body to rest. So are you still fasting at the moment? Yes, I am doing generally a 16-hour overnight fast, which oh, is not actually How often that do you have to do that? Every well, night? The research suggests that at least three times a week. Okay. But I just feel better if I just keep doing it. I like... Uh, that's the only one I think I could do. Oh, it's because fine. Because in terms of blood sugar levels, the one during the day I think I would really struggle with because I have some days where I won't eat till about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, yes. But I'm so hungry by that 3 o'clock in the afternoon I would just eat anything. And yes. then that kind of defeats the purpose, <laughs> well, right? Well, yes and no. Actually, the research doesn't say... Well, if you look at Michael Mosley's um, yeah, yeah. research on it, I think you can, in theory... Actually, this is not how I would approach it, but his theory <laughs> is you can eat whatever you like yep. so long as you're doing that. I would challenge you. giving your body the chance to reset over that fasting time. But what about you? How does your um, blood sugar level situation go with the 16-hour fasting? So fine, like so fine. I don't find that I'm dizzy or woozy or I'm thinking about food even mm. up until I know that sort of lunchtime's the first meal and I'm fine. Yep. Um, on the weekends, I'll exercise quite intensely. In the morning, it doesn't seem to be an issue. Mm-hmm. I find that my body works better this way. It's not actually that bad. But so many people, you talk to them about it and they're like, oh, I could never do that. And it's like, yeah, because you've never tried. No, properly. you're asleep for a big chunk of it. You are you're asleep. It easy and for yourself, well, this really. Is the thing. If your last meal is 6 or 7pm, then your mm-hmm. meal after that then becomes, you know. 10 or 11 yeah, or something, isn't so it? Yeah, so fine. I generally just end up waiting till lunchtime no matter what. Yep. I'll go through until lunchtime just because life. So don't you think it's funny, though, if you could go back again five years? We had a little time capsule oh, yeah. today, oh, time no. machine. Oh. And you said to yourself, I'm just going to just knock breakfast on the head. 
not going to worry about that mm-hmm. now because I'm taking on this fasting idea. Okay. You would have given yourself a oh, stern talking to. I have a whole to. book that talks about breakfast and how important it is. <laughs> but we don't know what but we, we don't evolve. know. That's right. And this is why I think it's really important that we are always being flexible yeah. around whether it's, you know, we've, we've fallen into the trap of maybe labelling ourselves paleo or vegan or, you know, we don't need to do that. Let's just eat food. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about no. that. Okay. Hey, um, I like the way that Kale seems to be all about the long game, though, because I think sometimes we look for the quick fix in a lot of these fads, like you just say, mm-hmm. um, and these diets, people can go on them for a little while, but then they're not committing to it over a long period of time. So that's maybe something we've learnt as well. It's I mean, all about, yes. And, I mean, most people we interview, they're all about the lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, and about things looking at the big picture, right? Mm-hmm. But, again, these are all just tools to actually assist our microbiome to thrive uh, on, on a long-term basis. We have to consider the long-term approach as being paramount. I'd rather someone be 80% perfect for the rest of their life than 100% perfect for 12 weeks. You know, if they're going to do a... a, a gut healing detox, for instance, for, for eight weeks, um, but then at the end of it, then crash back to way worse than they were before the actual detox took place, then that's not a good thing. Oh, my favourite thing, we know, solutions. Yes, yes. I'm very solution-driven. <laughs> it's good, though, because we have done quite a few episodes lately talking to people about gratitude and manifesting and, you know, looking for the good in things. But see, you can get stuck looking at the problems, right? But not you. You're always looking for the solution. I'm always looking for the solution. I, like I was that. like, right, let's fix this. <laughs> I don't know if that's always a good thing. But anyway, <laughs> I do need answers. So when Kale went to Namibia, he had some incredible findings and that doesn't surprise me. So we actually need to look at this long-term diet and the microbiome shifts very rapidly in uh, accordance with what you eat. So as soon as you start shifting your diet to a more whole foods approach, for instance, or with lots of different vegetables in there, with lots of different phytonutrients coming in from fresh organic fruits and vegetables, um, the microbiome shifts in a very positive way very quickly. And then over time, that'll have a subsequent effect on our metabolic system, our neurological system and our immune system. So it doesn't actually take that long in the right environment with the right food by the sounds of things. Well, that's it. We're all packing up. We're going on a holiday to Central Africa <laughs> to sort out our gut. Um, I wanted to hear Kale's thoughts and backtrack a little about this sustainable approach with health and the long game, as we said before. Because mm-hmm. sure, yeah, we have medicine and we have complementary medicine as well, which can be, both can be amazing. But long term, are they actually viable in fixing a problem? And that's probably where I think we've gone wrong in the complementary health space is that we think we've sort of substituted pharmaceuticals with with herbs or with supplements and all these sorts of things when we actually need to shift the lifestyle as a fundamental principle behind healing. Ouch, did that hurt? <laughs> not really, because I pride myself actually in this. I'll say to patients, A, if you're not eating the right food, mm. It's a very expensive consultation for me to tell you what to eat. It's not hard to work that out. (laughs) It's all over my website or it's all over everybody else's website. Uh So I think that is the foundation. And then I would pride myself on only needing to treat someone two or three times to get the results that we need Mm. and to set them up with the information to be able to be in charge of their health. So no, it doesn't actually. I think complementary medicine and herbal medicine, just like Western medicine, is there to change the physiological or chemical reactions within a body, not a long-term solution. No, it's not viable. Hey, it's time for us to take a very short break. But when we come back, Kale is going to tell us about his trip to Africa and uh, about the bodily function that he was concentrating on that uh, appears to have so many benefits. Poo, everybody poos. 
It's the Wellness Collective. This episode, it's the one about your gut and the guy who went to extreme lengths to find out if he could do something about what was going on inside of there. It's our guest, Kale Brock, and he's keeping it real. Poo, let's try and break down the stigma associated with poo for a minute and just point out that everybody poos. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Everybody poos. So from Taylor Swift to Kelly Slater to Malcolm Turnbull, everybody poos, okay? So we actually need to um, realise that what we leave behind in the toilet when when we go for number two is actually a really good indicator in terms of what our microbiome and what our gut health and digestion looks like. Um, or, or how it's how it's faring, and when we delve deeper, we can actually test that poo uh, with a with a microbiome sample, and um, have a look at the genetic the DNA material, the genetic material remaining in that poo to actually assess what's in our gut, what's in our microbiome. So it's a very interesting way to actually assess the state of the microbiome without actually jumping inside the gut. Okay, well, it seems the future of medicine is just one bowel motion away. Mm, Sharing is caring, isn't it, Nat? I really hope the majority of uh, people who are listening to this have not just switched off because it's gotten gross. Well, I guess Kel's trying to release this stigma about poop and telling (laughs) us that it's all okay and that we all do it Um, and that, you know, I guess poo is like him what menstruation is. To me, it tells you a lot about the internal landscape of the body. Yeah, which, you know, you can't see through the skin. Mm-mm. So before I left, I, you know, I had just done the Gut Healing Summit. I had done a little, a little bit of travelling, so I was a little bit um, out of routine, out of sorts. So my microbiome actually looked quite low in terms of diversity. And remember, this is me. This is the, the gut guy doing uh, fermented foods and all these different things. Now, when we sort of looked at it, we thought it may be a result of the significant amount of antibiotics that I had had as a teenager. And when you speak to anyone these days, you know, it's quite a common theme that we all had a lot of antibiotics at some point in our life. So that could have been a result of that. But regardless, that was the situation I was in. So when I went to Namibia, I was sort of looking for this this idea, this magic pill, if you will, to actually fix my microbiome. And what I realised whilst I was there living with this beautiful tribe of hunter-gatherer people, these happy, healthy people, um, was that it's actually a lifestyle that they were living that I could see was supporting their overall health and certainly what I saw um, would have been supporting their gut health as well. Again, simple. So we went out hunting and foraging every day and looking at various foods that were available in that local ecology and that's really important because that local ecology then picks up and represents a certain microbiome itself. So the soil has a microbiome or the plants in the soil have a microbiome. And when the traditional hunter-gatherers, when the sun eat those, they actually pick up those microbes and and begin to be inhabited by them uh, in order to thrive in that particular ecology, in that particular environment. And I realised that how connected we are to our food supply back here in the West is quite miserable. We're going shopping in um, the supermarket, you know, and picking up all the all the fruit and veg that we can. Some of it's organic, but some of it, even the organic stuff, has been kept in cold storage for 12 months. You know, there's no microbial action on these foods. And I think we're doing ourselves a massive disservice. And that seemed to be reflected in the poo sample that I actually gave at the end of the trip. See, this just makes it really hard, doesn't it? I mean, we try. We try and do the best. We're like, I'm going to buy organic and I'm going to spend a crap ton more on that. 
And then we find out it's been in storage for 12 months. It is really hard unless you're growing it in your garden or your friend's garden. I mean, how do you know? But hey, don't homegrown always taste better anyway? Mm, Yeah, yeah, generally. Mm -hmm. Fresh, yum. Long story short, and without, you know, giving away too many spoilers of the film, I had a very significant shift in my microbial diversity after only a week living with the sun, just one week. And that was not even 100% wild food. This was going out, this was foraging, this was digging underground for things like a water root or these little bush truffles that were delicious. By the way, we'd come back and roast them on the fire. So I was eating things with dirt on it and all this sort of stuff. And we were having um, some wild game as well, which we unfortunately didn't get to catch, but that's a whole nother story. Um, So it was a very, very different experience. So during that time, I picked up a very wide range of new bacteria, of new species of microbes, which which began to inhabit my gut. And presumably over time, those bacteria, those microbes, I should say, would have actually probably permanently resided in my gut. So he went to Africa and he got himself a new gang by the sounds of things. <laughs> got this new gang of microbes that were inhabiting his gut all of a sudden, which, yeah, I guess it's not that surprising. It's a totally different environment. So they'd have to be totally different bacteria, right? Well, it's true. So we know that at birth we inherit our mother's microbiome. Mm-hmm. We get the exact same set of bugs that she has, which is absolutely essential for our health. Yep. And it also becomes essentially our protection, like our um, immune system is mm-hmm. created from that. Um, and we continue to colonise this in the right environment. Then he's saying we'll add some more to the mix and everything kind of just shuffles around and makes some more room for this new microbiome. It's kind of fascinating. And that set of bugs is very, very important in terms of our immune system because that our immune system gets used to that set of bugs and sees it as native. Even if there, there are infections present, even if there are parasites and bad bacteria, the immune system says, okay, that's what I was given at birth. That's now my native set of bugs. So often what happens is that when we introduce new bugs, even probiotics, for example, they're often kicked out of the system. But the key is those new probiotics, those new bacteria, for instance, the ones I picked up in Africa, oftentimes actually shift the environment of your gastrointestinal tract, of your microbiome hotel, if you will. They shift the environment so it becomes more conducive to your own native bacteria actually coming online and growing again. And when that happens, we often see the inflammation levels drop down. We often see the immune system calm down because we're we're almost um, resetting the system. Well, I think that's the whole point is if you're increasing your good gut bacteria, you've got far less of a chance of there being this overgrowth of unkind or mm. harmful bacteria. Um, and that's also got to do with, I guess, you know, the, the quality of your sanitization as well. And I can't comment what it's like in the middle of Africa, but I think these people were pretty much living off the land. So yeah. it's quite clear that their, their lifestyle is actually supporting good gut health. Now, um... One thing, of course, this is the uh, probably elephant in the room, eh, antibiotics. Mm. I mean, really, it's such a huge thing. And for such a long time, it'd be you'd just go to the doctor and you'd say, can I have some antibiotics? And they'd give it to you and off you'd go. But we didn't realise that that was going to have big repercussions down the track, really, did we? Mm-hmm. When we take antibiotics, we can potentially irrevocably remove certain species of bacteria from our guts. It's a massive issue. And we've got the World Health Organisation talking about this now. So is there a lifestyle? Is there a 
a method of living that we can actually support that. And it turns out that there probably is. And that, and again, that comes back to those fundamental principles before. Yeah, eating whole foods, but now for me, I'm taking it a step further. It's getting in touch with my food supply. If I can't hunt and gather it, hunt and gather it myself, who, who is? So who do I know who is? And how can I talk to them and be in touch with them and get it as fresh as I can? And, and now for me, you know, even something simple like going surfing for me is now like a microbiome, a probiotic. It's like taking a probiotic. It's a, I now have a biological excuse to go surfing. It's brilliant. So we kept talking about poo because, well, why not? Um, and we started up the conversation about poo transplants. Mm-hmm. So I got to interview Professor Thomas Barodi, uh, who's the man really behind the the new age of FMT procedures, which is faecal microbiota transplantation, uh, a poo transplant essentially. And he's been getting some absolutely incredible results. He told me of some cases where they were able to actually reverse MS, you know, and not just a short-term reversal. This is a 15-year reversal. Um, so these are, And this is when the patient came in to be treated for their Crohn's condition. You know, so these, are, and then they had an FMT, and their their um, urological condition disappeared, like a depression, a thirty year depression state disappeared. You know, all these incredible case studies of um, just poo fixing these people. Wow, information! I feel like I have I information overload. But okay. I think some of these things, like anything, really, you kind of stumbled across mm. via an experiment. Like I don't think yes, he was coming for Crohn's, looking for that, and they've given him a poop transplant and all of a sudden his MS is better. <laughs> like, you know, I know that, and I know MS is no laughing matter by any means, but a lot of these neurological issues mm. all stem back to the gut. But that's, that's the way science works, right? I mean, you know, a penicillin was discovered on a piece of mouldy bread, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, good old science. Delicious. So, uh, Kale talked about how this wasn't just in the case of MS, but also other neurological or chemical issues like depression and anxiety. Yeah. It's being considered rudimentary at this point, but I I think as we build up science and really uh, work out the mechanistic functions of how different sets of gut bacteria change the internal environment to then affect a disease state, um, it's going to become a significant part of how we how we treat illness. And there's always going to be uh, some big hurdles to overcome, and some of those are going to be vested interests. We know that, mm. um, but I think the evidence is there now, and over time, that evidence is just going to build up and up and up. And um, I think we'll see some large-scale shifts in how we practice medicine and how we approach um, illness or, or disease or health from a preventative point of view as well. So we really did want to focus on anxiety in this episode, but all that other information is essential to help us get to this point, I suppose, isn't it? We need to understand fundamentally what's actually going on in the gut and then how that has repercussions around the body. Yes, and we're really keen to ask this specifically to Kale. Is the best way forward addressing I- issues like anxiety, is it all within the gut? Like, is that where the secret lies? From my research, uh, the gut-brain connection is a very um, well-established phenomenon in the human body. I think this bi-directional relationship between the gut microbes and the brain is always going to be implicated and an important factor in any neurological condition. I listened to Julia Enders speak the other day who wrote the, the book Gut, And she was talking about within this relationship, within this communication pathway, we actually see 90% of the messages going from the gut to the brain and only 10% going from the brain to the gut, which would suggest that this upward communication pathway is actually much more important than the downward one. Mm. And it could potentially mean 
that many neurological conditions actually have origins within the gut, not in the brain. So good to be able to lean on that because, I mean, obviously there's factors going on in your life that you can't control situations and everything like that. But if your gut health is in good order, then surely that gives you a much better chance of coping with the things that are going on in your life. Absolutely. It is the epicentre of our body. We saw Deakin University come out with a study last year that they were able to, and we talked about this in the film, in the gut movie, they were able to uh, reduce depression rates by 33%, I think it was, or that uh, actually in, induce remission of major depression with 33% of their, of their patients in this study using a whole foods Mediterranean-style diet. Mm. Not even a probiotic. So what's going on there? It's a massive issue. I think that we've really done a disservice to the world in saying that it's just a chemical imbalance, quote unquote, in the brain that, that causes these neurological conditions. You know, that time has also come. There's a lot of evidence now showing that these gut bacteria have a massive impact on our mood and, and how we act and behave. And uh, when we manipulate them in a positive way, we can certainly experience some more positive neurological behaviours and traits as well. Pasta and olive oil it is then. (laughs) Sounds good to me, tiramisu. A few olives. Gelati? Mm. I don't know that's where he was going with that. I think so. Definitely. Take from it what you will. microbiome in that gelati for Um, sure. Oh, my goodness. I actually lived on a diet of gelati when I was on my honeymoon in Venice Mm. because... Why wouldn't you? Because I could. <laughs> and you know what's funny when you're on holidays? Yeah. I guess it's because you don't have the stress factor, is that you kind of get away with eating things you wouldn't ordinarily and you feel okay still. Mm. I have that with patients all the time. They're like, I went to Paris and I just ate croissants the whole time. And you're like, mm. oh, yeah. Yeah, because you're on the high. You're on the holiday yeah, high. Haven't it? It's pretty good. Hey, uh, big thank you to Kale Brock for joining us today. He has been on our wish list for a he long has time been. to join us in the collective and we managed to nail him down. I know, right? He is at kalebrock.com and you can find details mm-hmm. to his screenings and the documentary, The Gut Movie, yep. right there. But there's lots of information there around gut health. And mm. I would, he's actually highly entertaining. Yeah, he seems he, like If it. you follow him on Facebook, he creates like <laughs> these um, little skits and they're really funny. If you Google Kale Broccoli, does he come? Yep, he might. Yeah, good. We love it. Hey, uh, until next time, we hope that this episode of The Wellness Collective has left you feeling a little bit happier, healthier, healthier and better. You can finish. I always want to now. Bye. 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 Thank you.